Welcome to Beyond the Blue Wall. My name is Greg Hull from the Advancement Division at CalArts. And today, my friends, we have with us Sox Whitmore. Sox's pronouns are they, them, theirs. They are a 2020 graduate from the School of Music and the Performer Composer BFA program. And like many CalArtians to say that Sox is prolific is probably a little bit of an understatement. That's because they are a singer, a stage and voice actor, a lyricist, a composer, a writer, and so many other things. In fact, please check out SoxWhitmore.com. That's S-O-C-K-S-W-H-I-T-M-O-R-E.com to learn more about what Sox is up to. But today we're mostly going to talk about how Sox launched their career as a freelance independent artist after they graduated from CalArts. And the impetus for that is largely because there is a new specialization on Coursera for CalArts called Building Your Freelance Career. Now, for those of you who don't know, Coursera for CalArts is this tremendous resource that offers thousands of totally free, totally online courses for alumnus, faculty and staff, for current students, and Sox was highlighted as part of this new specialization called Building Your Freelancing Career, so please do check it out. And we thought it'd be a good opportunity to bring Sox in, break it down a little bit more, how do you get started, what do you have to think about, how do you get going as a freelance artist. So without further ado, here's Sox. Again, might as well start at CalArts. Um, I graduated from a performing arts high school in Maryland in 2017 and had gotten into CalArts, which was my top choice school. So I began attending that same year. Originally, as a voice arts major, I had mostly been applying to colleges as a voice arts vocalist major. But one of the difficult things about trying to be a vocalist for, for me uh, study vocals at college was that a lot of programs are very, they're built on a very classical type of training and background. And that was never what I wanted to do. So part of why CalArts grabbed me from the beginning is that CalArts didn't box you into that classical voice training. So I came to CalArts in part because of the uh, the ethos of contemporary culture that exists there and being able to just kind of build your own, choose your own adventure. The degree programs in the music school especially are very, you're, you're able to build your degree around what you really want to do for the most part. And that was really exciting to me. I also chose CalArts because of the collaborative environment. I was really, really excited by the poster culture, by the idea of working with people across disciplines, voice acting. CalArts is the reason that I'm a professional voice actor now because of the way that the animators are in the same building. We're in one giant building, right? And the animators are just a floor or two away from where I was as a music student. And it was super accessible to start working with them. So I came to CalArts in fall of 2017 as a voice arts major, and then I actually ended up changing my major a semester into my study to performer-composer. 
because my friends in the music school convinced me that yes, my original music was indeed composing and that it would be a good idea for me to expand my focus. And that was a really good decision. I'm really glad that I did that. I'm a very interdisciplinary, multidisciplinary person. And my full degree is I have a BFA performer composer degree with minors in digital arts and creative writing because that was the closest I could get to. I do all of the everything. Um, so yeah, performing, composing was a really good move. Did you have any sense when you were coming into CalArts of what you wanted to do when you left? That is a good question. I, as a high school student, knew that music was a strong suit for me. I, in my performing arts high school, had studied being a vocalist, specialized in that, and I knew that I wanted to sing. I'd have, I had a strong interest in musical theater, which is one of the things that makes it interesting that I chose CalArts because CalArts is not a musical theater school whatsoever. In fact, it can be very difficult to get the, the institute itself to support the development of musical theater. There's a lot of student body interest, but actually getting the theater school to cooperate is a whole nother ballgame. But I knew that I loved musical theater. I loved storytelling. I was always very good with words. There was a part of me that had thought about trying to double major in music and like English or creative writing in college. And that's part of why I minored in creative writing. I knew that I also wanted to work with words and text. Nowadays, I define my artistry as a storyteller rooted in voice and text because that kind of that connects to all of the disciplines that I've come to call my own. But I think that I just started with, I knew I wanted to do musical theater and I knew I wanted to write. I know you graduated in the worst possible time, 2020. But I want to talk a little bit about, because I think this is something that probably speaks to many CalArtians and other people as well, is, is at that moment we're graduating, even if you can leave aside the pandemic, but you don't have to do that. What are you thinking at that point? So you've gone through, you've had this pretty, pretty good experience, I think, for the most part at CalArts, probably. And then you're thinking, now what? Right. So, like, can you talk a little bit about that and unpack that? I graduated in three years. I graduated a year early and kind of jam-packed four years into three. My CalArts experience was very active. And so at the time that the pandemic hit, just two months before graduating, I was on student union. I was working a student, an additional student job in the advancement office. I was very heavily involved in the CalArts community. And so actually I, I did a lot of the work as one of the student representatives of making this transition through the pandemic and figuring out like what was coming next and communicating to the students and all of these things. And originally my plan before the pandemic had been vaguely try to keep working at CalArts as I could. I knew that my boss in advancement had wanted to develop me as her personal assistant and have me continue with them after graduating. And I knew that I wanted to start sort of straddling the divide between staying with CalArts and having a sort of arts admin daily bread supporting job and then also starting to get more into the freelancing side of things doing performances and commissions for creative works and stuff like that and just I was planning on making a slow transition between those two things um, and that ended up kind of coming true there was a period of time after graduating where 
CalArts couldn't hire me back because of the pandemic and the, ah, do we have money to hire people? So there was a moment where the future was uncertain and I didn't know if CalArts would be able to take me and I ended up moving out of California for a year. I was in Wisconsin, um, just waiting it out. And that situation, I never wanted to be rooted in Wisconsin. I've always wanted to plant my roots in California and in the Los Angeles area. So I was physically far away from all of the in-person opportunities that I wanted to engage with, but it also ended up really giving me a push into the world of voiceover because voiceover did great during the pandemic. Voiceover has always been able to, you can do it remotely and it's been done like that for a long time. And the pandemic ended up making a hard swing into everyone having home studios and doing voiceover work from home. And that's what I ended up doing because it was much easier to continue being creative through voiceover than it was to like try and perform musical theater or write a song um, that could be performed somewhere live. So I did a hard swing into voiceover and I was able to get hired by CalArts eventually later in the summer. And I ended up basically having part-time work with CalArts to keep me steady to assistant them. We call it the side hustle in the industry. That was CalArts is my side hustle technically. Uh, and then I was doing a lot of freelance work on top of that. So a lot of voiceover, a lot of voiceover. And then I was also doing some at home performances, virtual cabarets and that type of thing, virtual plays, things that helped me feel sustained as an artist. And I did a lot of networking. I spent a lot of time, you know, I showed up to all these virtual concerts and things and made a lot of friends where location no longer mattered. Uh, like with voiceover, you can be collaborating with people across the pond, you can be in any time zone. Uh, sometimes scheduling with time zones is another story, but technically with when you're working remotely, you can be collaborating with anyone anywhere in the world. And so one of the advantages of this push towards doing things at home is that I really expanded my network and was I dove deep into digital spaces and really started tapping in to all of those connections. And some of those virtual connections have become real life connections. I actually have a performance coming up that's gonna be because I like joined a, a Facebook group for trans and gender non-conforming theater artists. So yeah, yeah, getting really deep into finding work and finding collaborators through digital spaces was a, was a huge focus of mine immediately after graduation. Well, I wanna talk about some of those things later on because uh, I think they're important particularly the networking piece but what I'm kind of curious about is can you walk us through you know that that pivot toward voice work and like how did it happen like how did you get the first gig I know that once you get one and maybe it becomes a little bit easier but can you talk about how that actually happened so my very first voiceover work was at CalArts. The animators need voice actors to help realize their films every year. Every animator has to make a film all of their four years at CalArts. So there are a lot of films being made and a lot of voices that need to be voiced. And I just went into it auditioning for everything. Even if I thought it was a stretch for, for me to voice that character, I just went for it. I averaged about seven films a year booking, seven roles a year. Um, 
uh, the three years that I was at CalArts, actually I've continued doing student work this year, the 2021 to 22 school year. And I've broken my record. I think I might be up to like 10 student films. I'm doing a lot this year, I've lost count. But yeah, I just started with working with the animators and getting getting really used to getting over rejection sensitivity because when you're in voiceover it's not even really about your skill it's about whether you and your voice are the right fit for a character and just because you're a good voice actor doesn't mean you're going to be the right fit for every character and getting to voiceover and just submitting endless auditions for the animators at CalArts really helped me get over my rejection sensitivity and reframe my thinking around that. I had my first paid voiceover work in 2019. That was a, a job I'd found through a digital space and I recorded down at Starburn Industries, I wanna say it's called. It's the place where they record Rick and Morty. I did an audio drama called Elaine's Cooking Podcast for the Soul. That was a really special moment for me. That was my first canonically non-binary character and my first paid work. And, uh, you know, a few months later, we were in the pandemic. And I had been going to recording studios before that. You know, it was the director's job to book the recording space and then bring me on from, from there. And then I got... um a Penguin Random House gig. This is actually one of my most prominent roles that I've played so far. The way that it happened is I had just made a profile on Penguin Random House's casting website. I just made one and had my reels on there, my voiceover reels, which are like a portfolio, essentially a little one and a half minute to two minute portfolio proving that you can do the thing and show what your voice sounds like. So I had my reels on the Penguin Random House casting website and I got an invitation to audition for Narwhal and Jelly, which is a children's book series by Ben Clanton that is very adorable and wholesome. And they were looking for someone to audition for the voice of the character Narwhal. And they had heard my reels and they were like, can, can you read for this? We think you might be perfect. And I booked it. And then I needed to be able to record it because everything was remote. This was summer of 2020. Penguin Random House wasn't going to bring me into a studio. And that was the moment where I was like, oh, I have to get my home studio situation together. And so my partner at the time happened to have some equipment already. So I started by using his equipment. But immediately after, I was like, I can't depend on this. I really need to get my own. So that was the next step for me. Uh, after recording that Penguin Random House gig, I really focused on getting my home studio together. And then once that was set up, I was able to confidently submit for all of the auditions I was able to find. Can you talk a little bit about that Penguin Random House experience? What is that like? You're recording on your own in this case, in your own home studio, but what are you doing? You're submitting it to someone? Are they evaluating the work? Like, how, how, is, how does that work? There are several different ways to record voiceover in terms of like the director to voice actor relationship. So in the, the Penguin Random House situation, it was a live directed session in which we had a Zoom call. I had a, a director from Penguin Random House on Zoom with me who essentially just walked through each book. There were multiple books in this case. I did all five of the first, the books that had been published at that time, and I've recorded another book since. 
uh, because now I am I am Narwhal, and so they bring me back whenever Ben Clanton writes a new book, which is great. So during the that first session with the first five books, Penguin Random House, because it's audiobooks specifically, their style is to try and just go through and then you only stop and do it again if they're like, I, I need you to do another take of that where you have a little less energy or you sound a little more playful or something like that. And they're very focused on doing it in chronological order and just kind of like, check, 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 maybe do that one more time, check, check, check. And and then just work work through the book and move on to the next one. I recorded for Penguin Random House in another context as well. I was in... Um, this is our rainbow, which is an anthology of LGBTQ plus stories, and it had all queer narrators, which was really cool. And I got to voice three of the stories in this anthology, and it was a similar similar directing style, even though the structure of these stories was very different. Because with a picture book, it's it's very dialogue-y, and you're you're trying to make an audio drama essentially for the picture book. Where, it's, where you're voicing the dialogue and the sound effects, whereas with a traditional audiobook, like what I did with This Is Our Rainbow, it's reading the text like it's a novel or a novella um, and just trying to get through it unless you fumble or you your director says, you know, do that a little slower, make sure you're pronouncing this word right, whatever. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but what helped launch your career to this point was just being relentless and you know just saying like even while you were a student like not taking anything for granted right like saying I'm going to I'm thinking about doing voice work so I'm going to audition for student voice work and then that's going to lead to other things I mean is it fair to say that that's what happened Absolutely. I think that my CalArts experience is very unique because I did way too many things. I'm like, yeah, no one should do as many things as I did. But also, I don't regret doing that because ultimately it got me to where I am now. I was active very much in the CalArts community. I was very involved in all the events and all of the, um, the student voice and the places where student voices wanted to be heard and all of these things. And then I was also constantly in digital spaces and seeking out things outside of CalArts. And now I like I write reviews for theater because I sought out an internship at StageRaw while I was at CalArts. And now I'm a part of StageRaw's permanent writer roster. And I wrote two musicals while I was CalArts and I, while I was at CalArts and it's because I wrote that first musical that it won an award at a place called New Musicals Inc. down in Hollywood. And then I ended up forming a long lasting relationship with that organization and I've come back to work with them as an actor and stuff like that where I just I put myself out there a lot and it led to new paths and I was willing to walk down those paths to see what might be there for me. To go back to what we were talking about earlier, is this what you saw yourself doing, or was it what happened as a result of your experience at CalArts? Like, like, uh, let me try to explain that a little better. Like, you got to CalArts, and you, it's such an interdisciplinary community, and you see yourself sort of immersed in this, this, this community of artists. Is that what drove you, or did you drive you? yourself i'm a very self-driven 
person. Whenever people ask me like who my inspiration is or why I make art, I'm like, I, I don't know. What else would I be doing? I'm doing it for me. I Because I'm very self-driven, it's very easy for me to motivate myself to do all of these things because I'm like, yeah, I just got to do all of it. I'm so excited about everything that I'm doing. I don't think that I could have foreseen where I'd be now, but also I couldn't have foreseen many of the things that have happened in the CalArts community, in Los Angeles, in the world at large. Like There was no way I could have predicted all the things that helped shape where I'm at now, but I had no idea that I'd be writing for stage raw or that I'd <laughs> that I'd be working with Penguin Random House. Just because I didn't, I don't know if I realized before coming to CalArts that those were things that were even on the table. Just being at CalArts really expanded my my ideas for what it is that I could be and do. And I think that's something CalArts is very good at, is expanding your viewpoint. And like with the music school... Um, the music school has really challenged me to grow as a composer. I never would have thought some of the music that I've made I would have ever written. I have this aleatoric piano vocal piece that's basically, it's one piece of paper where I wrote a bunch of words that are just instructions on how to play it, and then I have a poem, and that's the piece and it's one of my favorite things that I wrote at CalArts. And before I came to CalArts, I didn't even know that was like a, a thing that music could do. I was like, sheet music, that's how we make music, right? And CalArts expanded my viewpoint in order for me to make this piece that I love, that I'm really happy I made. And CalArts also challenged me with theater and with visual art, all the mediums that I was surrounded by, where I, I went to a lot of the student art shows and performances and stuff. And I saw things that really challenged me to expand my idea of what art can be. Let's get into some nuts and bolts now. So let's say that first paying gig that you got, I assume you're working as a freelancer or independent contractor. Like, how do you know what to charge? Do you have a contract? Like, how does it work in terms of, of that sort of business side of it? Yeah, so with voiceover, it tends to be the director's budget is what drives it. Usually people will say exactly how much a job will pay, um, whether that's a flat fee or it's an hourly recording hour rate where they're like, however, however much time we spend in the studio. For audiobooks, a lot of times it tends to be by finished hour, it so happens, because audiobooks are long. That takes It takes so many hours to write, to, to record a full audiobook, so that they'll technically lean towards the finished hour after everything's been edited down, all the mistakes and the re-recordings have been taken out. Uh, there are people who can charge by word also, like some people will do three cents per word and then however many words are in the script. I do have rates that I try to keep handy. I'm very flexible about them because I know that budgets can be all over the place. But I, I have rates that I try to keep in mind whenever the opportunity arises for me to pitch my own. In voiceover, though, it's usually it's more about their their budget and what they have. Do you have representation or management at this point, or is that something that you would even do going forward? 
So right now it's March of 2022 and I do have a talent manager that I signed with back in July. Um, I am signed by Transgender Talent, which is an agency that specifically represents trans and non-binary entertainment professionals. And that has definitely been valuable to my career, perhaps not even in the traditional way that a manager is. I just happen to have stepped up and taken a larger role in this management agency because I'm a professional overachiever and I'm constantly doing more things than I should. So I ended up joining Transgender Talent's admin team as their digital content manager. And now I'm kind of involved in the nuts and bolts of the management agency. And it also doubles as a production company. There is a side of it that is making content which functions it helps our roster of people our actors and our musicians and such get more portfolio material that they can use to represent themselves so that's one of the advantages of having a production wing is that it books our actors for us so that they can then prove to other people that they can do the thing um i don't have an agent yet the difference between an agent and a manager is that agents are basically a conduit for job listings. Big studios like Netflix and Disney will send jobs to agents and then the agents will distribute those listings to their rosters so that that way Netflix and Disney don't have to deal with thousands of people who aren't at the caliber that they need to be to audition for Netflix and Disney. It's gatekeeping, but it makes sense. But then it's also hard for people like me where I'm like, ah, but I have to get an agent first before I can do that, even though I know I'm at the point where I definitely could and should be. So finding an agent um, is an important part of getting jobs sent to you in those the behind the doors of the big side of the industry. And then a manager is more about curating, stewarding your career. So a manager is about making sure that you have your portfolio together, making sure all your materials are there, helping you make decisions when you have a job in front of you and a contract. Be like, is this contract okay? Like, is it negotiating? Uh, if you're worried about pay, a manager can help step in and negotiate pay to what you'd like it to be, do things like that. Uh, and both of those sides of representation will take percentages of the work that you do in the entertainment industry. So I know in addition to your voice work, you're doing a lot of other things. You've been in films, you've done music videos, right? Like, uh, can you talk a little bit about that, that kind of eclectic mix of art that you're involved in? Yeah, musical theater and voiceover are usually where I define my primary genres. I do a lot of things within those genres, but those are kind of my main focuses. Uh, and then games is slowly becoming a larger part of my practice. I do narrative design and writing for games, and I've also done like artistic directing, casting directing, um, different aspects in that side of things. But then I also do stuff outside of those fields. So last year, 2021, I was in my first feature film. I was in a movie called The Magical Christmas Tree, in which I played a non-binary accountant with a bit of a thing about Christmas, but it's okay because their heart changes by the end of the film. You can watch that on Amazon Prime, Vimeo, and Tubi. And on camera is a different field of acting than on stage or behind the mic. 
but it is also something that I had done before and I will do again, even though it's not my focus. Um, and it's a lot of fun. I do enjoy it. And I'm really happy about <laughs> having been in a feature film and getting to say that I did that. I also, I do so many things. I'm writing reviews for Stage Raw. I write in other forms. I do poetry. I do short fiction. Uh, I do scripts in the audio drama realm. I do things that become voiceover. I will write for voiceover type materials. I perform as a vocalist um, and I also compose. Outside of the musical theater realm, I've written standalone songs um, of, of various genres that are really just rooted in lyrics and storytelling because that's I'm a lyricist. That's one of my specialties is writing words for music. I am a producer. I've helped get a lot of my own work off the ground by just taking a leadership role. I've also been like invited into group project spaces where I ended up taking a leadership role because somebody has to to get it done. And I'm usually that kind of person. I'm very organized and driven. Let's just touch on networking and the importance of that because clearly you have done a lot of networking and you've seen it as a critical component of, you know, making these connections that lead to work. How do you do it? And, and particularly if, let's say, someone is, you know, introverted or whatever, and they just, it's not comfortable for them to be, to be putting themselves out there. How do you deal with that? Introverts, my heart goes out to you. I used to be a very introverted person. I think, I'm not sure whether I'm considered now like an introverted extrovert or vice versa. I'm one of those things uh but that's where i started right before i came to cal arts i was an extremely introverted person and when i got to cal arts i just kind of decided to be a different person i was like you know what i don't like who i was so i'm just gonna be different now and then i i went into this hyperdrive mode of being involved in everything and showing up to all the events and submitting all these auditions and that's a matter of willpower I don't know what to tell you if you're not feeling like you're in the place where you can do that, but that is what worked for me, is just committing to the idea of being someone I like better. In terms of networking and how to do it, digital spaces are really great. Social media, um, following the right accounts and hashtags to introduce you to certain opportunities that you can then go to and then meet people. Um, Facebook groups are still around. I know that Facebook's a dying platform, but I have gotten money from things that I encountered on Facebook, so there you have that. I hate Twitter, but I need to be there because there is a massive voiceover community on Twitter, and that is actually where the majority of my indie project voiceover bookings came from, is people who posted their casting calls on Twitter. There are some really great ways to find casting calls for voiceover on Twitter specifically. Discord, if you're not familiar, is a server-based social platform, and that is also very huge for voiceover and for game making. Discord is huge with both of those communities. I'm in so many Discord servers, it gives me anxiety, but it's, it's served me well. I have gotten paid gigs from things that I found in Discord servers and I've, you know, made connections and things. I know for me with Discord, I mute 
a lot of the conversations that are just noise and chatter because I don't have the capacity to be engaged in all of those conversations. And I just keep my notifications down to like the casting calls and tips for being a better voiceover artist and stuff like that. And I refine it. Um, so that perhaps for introverts can be useful because you can just let those notifications roll in and you never have to say anything if you don't want to. There are casting websites. So that is a good way to just find job submissions. And then you may find that the people you book work with through those casting websites, if you have a good experience, they might hire you back for stuff. Uh, I have made friends through LinkedIn. I know that LinkedIn is a bit of a weird one for artists because it's not built for artists. It's really hard for artists to make good use of LinkedIn, but I have a fairly up-to-date and semi-active one that I do check regularly. And I met someone there through one of the LinkedIn groups that exists for voiceover actors who I ended up working with on a project. And then they introduced me to someone who paid me to feature my music on their podcast. So, you know, it all it's a domino effect, right? If you just show up to the space and you make one good connection, that connection can introduce you to more connections. Well, it, it requires a lot of attention and effort, but it really does pay off. One of the great concerns for someone who is, say, you know, an artist who's coming out of CalArts or anywhere, and they're thinking, okay, I'm going to piece together the start of my career by doing a bunch of freelance work or contract work. The fear, I guess, is what if I can't get enough, right? Like, what if it dries up? What if I can't book stuff? How do you deal with that? I have a feeling you deal with it by just being relentless, right? But there's always got to be the back of your head thinking like, oh, no, what if I can't get that next job? Or what if I can't get enough work? So how do you, how do you push back against that? For something like voiceover, that transition really depends on the individual, of course, but it tends to be long and slow where you cannot immediately live off of voiceover right away because you have to get the experience. You have to work a lot of things uh, and there will the the beginning work for voiceover is small pay, like it's twenty five dollars for a role or something like that. You know, you you do a lot of little things at first to make a name for yourself and then getting it's once you really get to either the agent level if you're working in like character animation and video game industry or if you are more on the commercial side um just having like a very healthy list of returning clients people who want to hire you back for for corporate for commercials um advertisements commercial is just really really huge e-learning is a decent one that's like online education content that can there's a lot of voiceover work to be found there as well so with voiceover that getting to that point is typically long and slow there is not an easy way especially right now for like a theater performing artist to constantly be in the theater realm because there's we're we're still coming back we're still transitioning the landscape has changed so theater people it's very rare i think that you can sustain yourself on performing in theater alone and it, that's one of the challenging things about being an artist is it's so hard to just be 
one thing. I mean, for me, being multidisciplinary is joyful. I love being multidisciplinary and I love that I don't necessarily experience that lull in artistry ever because I'm, I have a lull in one field that I fill with activity in another. And like you said, being relentless, I just keep going <laughs> a lot of the time. But that is, that is a difficult reality that we have to deal with. And I think one of the solutions perhaps is finding something that is regular uh, and um, your side hustle that also brings you joy and perhaps is arts adjacent. I mean, that's part of why staying with CalArts in an arts admin type position is something that I'm like, yeah, this is good for me because I still feel close to the arts, even though I'm not necessarily doing artist work in this position. So you were featured in building your freelance career, which is a Coursera specialization. For those of you who don't know, the CalArts community offers free courses through Coursera to all students, faculty, staff, alumni. So check it out. Socks, you were one of these people profiled. Can you talk a little bit about that experience and, you know, maybe even a little bit about what their specialization is? Sure. So there were three freelancers that were interviewed for, there are five courses inside of the specialization and our interviews were sprinkled throughout all five. And I got an invitation to do this in part because as a student, I had formed a pretty close relationship with the Center for Life and Work, the Career Center at CalArts. And then I continued that relationship as I became a staff member and continued to stay in the community. So I'm pretty sure that it was the Center for Life and Work that actually recommended me to the Extended Studies Office, the one that helped produce and create this content. And I had I'd met my interviewer before as well through the Center for Life and Work, through taking classes with them on business of the arts. And basically, I think I was there for, we sat talked for 45, 60 minutes maybe, and just did something kind of like what you and I are doing, just asking me questions about my career and things like that, asking questions about rates, about finding work, about networking, um, about contracts, all of these things, management. And it was, you can, you can hear me talk on finding your community, defining your business rates, getting the word out about your business, surprises that come up in freelancing, doing business as an individual as opposed to like an actual company. And I just sort of talked all over and my perspective was unique because as I've stated multiple times, I'm very multidisciplinary and it is a different landscape when you're like me, a singular person doing many different things as opposed to say, a company, an LLC, perhaps, or something like that, where you've created maybe a, a singular product or set of products that you do as part of a brand name. It's a completely different playing field. So I want to sort of finish by, well, there's two things I wanted to do. The, the, the one was, where do you think you'll be in five or 10 years? But I, I'm not actually going to ask that because like, who knows, right? Like you'll probably be ruling the world. Um, <laughs> and it's sort of a trite question, right? So I'm not even going to do that. What are your best pieces of advice for, let's say, you know, you're a CalArts student or you're not a student, but you're an artist, whatever you might be. You're trying to go out into the world. You're trying to do your thing. You're trying to 
practice your art, you're trying to be who you are, what is your advice for them? Try everything. If it, if it grabs you, if you're curious, open that door. You might be surprised at the paths that you'll go down if you give something a chance. And don't turn down opportunities early on in your career just because you think maybe they're not professional level or, you know, like, uh, maybe my time would be better served doing something else. There are a lot of things that will not be industry standard rates or, you know, you'll be doing stuff pro bono. You'll be working with people who are less experienced, stuff like that. But if you do those things early on, you are laying a foundation for a future with those collaborators where you do get to work at industry level and with experienced people. Open all the doors. Look in all of them. Thank you so much, Sox, for um, joining us today, for, for telling your story a little bit and you know, letting us inside your prolific world. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to ask you where you'll be in five or ten years, but I know whatever it is, it's going to be really exciting. So thanks so much for, for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Greg.